Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip the Block, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce the uh, crew to you guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. Uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor Ward Mythaller, and we also have all retired this evening. We have uh, Captain Brett Bartlett. We're going to be joined by uh, Major Ronald McMullen shortly and producer Will Statzer. So uh, thanks, guys, for being on the show. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. Uh, we are sponsored by Gauls, Guardian Alliance Technologies, Gunlearn.com, MyMedicare.Live, and we are powered by Pexip. So uh, thanks too much, uh, so much to those entities for making it happen. Um, we got another great lineup this evening. I know I always say that every week, but wow, we've got some really good stuff. Um, you know, we've had a lot of talks about, um, you know, PIO offices, the information they, rele they release and whether they're releasing too much information, the downsides of that. So there's an article on Place One uh, titled, Are PIOs Confusing Expectations with Requirements? And although it, it, you know, it's not going everywhere I want it to go as far as the article is, and it's written by a guy named Sergeant Darren Wright. I don't remember reading um, anything that he's written for Police One before, I might have. Uh, but the two things I really want us to talk about, uh, number one, releasing sensitive information to people who don't either don't need it or they don't qualify to have it. And the second thing is, is releasing information uh, prematurely to appease the public, uh, but damaging the investigation and potentially the outcome as a result of doing that. Um, I know that in the article it says that in the field of uh, communications and public relations that we strive to be transparent, provide as uh, much information as we can, especially especially lately with all the uh, you know the rights and looting and stuff that goes on. Uh, going the extra mile and providing information helps to build the relationships between your organization and the media partners that you work with. But this extra information, it's nice to have, but just because we've always done it in the past does not mean that we have to still do it today. He goes on to say that the battle between need to know and want to know, um, he, he talks about PIOs, police executives, and anyone who manages a crisis incident, um, they have to deal with high-ranking politicians, elected officials, and other dignitary-type um, people who wield their power to get privileged information about an incident, and he at, poses the question, do they really need to know? And then finally, uh, know where the law is or, or know what it is in your jurisdiction and your policies um, that deal with this kind of stuff, you know, releasing information. And I know, uh, you know, Brett, I know that you were an internal affairs commander. There's a couple things wearing that hat that I'd like you to comment on as well. I don't know if you ever, you were, I'm assuming, Brett, since you were commander of a couple of different areas, that you were probably acting PIO at least um, some during your career. But uh, um, guys, Brett, you want to start us off? Well, I, I know this, that the the PIO is simply an extension, an arm of the chief of police or whatever the chief of police believes and whatever their attitude is, that's going to be reflected in the PIO. I went to PIO training years ago. It's a real good class, two-day class called Feeding the Animals. That's the name of the uh, feeding. The guy taught us basically, if you don't feed the animals, in other words, the media, they will come looking. And he also taught us this, give them, give them, <coughs> excuse me, Give them their money shot, give them their money quote, and then move down the road. Because if they think you're hedging, they will attack you with everything they have. <clears throat> now, what I've noticed last year and a half, a lot of agencies, they produce these real nice informational videos. They have the 911 calls, they have the video, they, they, they do a great job. I don't know what the timeline is on those. I don't know if they're right after the incident or sometime after, but they just got to be careful. So the chief is going, now, if I release information now, will it feed the animals? the media, not the people, feed the animals, will it make them go away? And then will it appease the people? So they're weighing that. Do I appease the people or do I screw up an investigation? Sometimes they don't make the good choice. 
Very good. Um, guys, anybody else on this one? And, and Brett's probably got the, uh, I guess, closest to this uh, PIO situation as anybody is. And, um, you know, I know that we've got John Phillips that's on our YouTube channel a lot. He's always talking about PIOs and them abusing and just kind of, you know, butchering the job and stuff. So um, hopefully he'll appreciate us covering this. I thought about him when I was selecting the title. But uh, did you want to add something, Captain? Yeah, a, a couple of years back, well, 10 years ago, we had the uh, one of the Super Bowls here in Tampa. I don't remember which number. And, you know, uh, with the first, when the Super Bowl comes prostitution, we knew that was coming. So the, the media wanted to know about it. So the chief sent me out. I, I was in charge of CIB at the time. And, uh, Captain Bartlett, do you think that uh, there'll be prostitution at the uh, Super Bowl? I said, listen, gang, the sun rises in the east and hookers come to Super Bowl. And that's what they printed. By the time I got back to office, the chief was calling me going, really? That's what you had to say? I said, chief, I gave them their money shot. They're, now they're gone. They're happy. They're, they're, they're not going to bother us anymore. But <laughs> I think he finally understood. But if you Google me, you'll find that the sun rises cool. in the east and hookers come to Super Bowl. Wow. That's, all right. All right. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Someone's going to steal that line from me now, Brett. All right, if there's nobody else, uh, let's see what else we got here. We've got some very interesting updates as well, um, starting off with this one. It's on Police One. It's all been all over the media all, all, all week long. Police seek parents of Michigan teen after they're charged with manslaughter and school shooting. Obviously, they found them after they went on the run. So it talks about the prosecutor filed involuntary manslaughter charges and actually four counts each um, for, I guess, each of the uh, of the. Um, students that ended up dying uh, and they did this Friday against the parents of a teen accused of killing four students at a Michigan high school saying that they failed to intervene on the day of the tragedy despite being confronted with a drawing and a chilling message that said blood everywhere uh, that was found at the boy's desk. I remember the story of a, of a teacher actually taking a picture of that. Thank God she did because by the time they got the parents in the office and they were going over it, the picture had been altered you know, by the boy, but the, the teacher you know, had taken a picture of it. It says that James Crumbly and Jennifer Crumbly, the two parents, they committed egregious acts from buying a gun on Black Friday and making it available to their son, Ethan Crumbly, um, to resisting his removal from school uh, when they were summoned a few hours before the shooting actually took place. And this is according to the Oakland County prosecutor, Karen McDonald. Um, I mean, it goes on to say, you know, um, you know, so many things in the article. Um, and I remember, you know, in watching the news pieces and then, you know, mom sending uh, the son text about, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, LOL, you know, laughing out loud, um, you know, don't get caught. And, uh, and then one text that said, don't do it before the shooting happened. Then, of course, you know, when the shooting did happen, dad went and, uh, and uh, I guess reported to the police that the gun was gone and he thought his son was the shooter. Uh, but, of course, there have been stuff all over social media about this gun being purchased, almost like a straw purchase for a kid, although I don't, I know parents can get guns for kids, but he's 15 years old. Uh, Captain Brett, you want to start us off? And then uh, I know Major uh, Ron's logging in, too. First, there's no evidence that it was a straw purchase. The, the, the guy went in, he bought it. If, if, if people bought guns and they were kids at home and they started calling those straw purchases, you wouldn't buy guns. You couldn't. So, I agree. But I, I don't know, you know, how far it went. Um, and you know, usually there's a saying, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. This time it's the crime and the cover-up. There's going to be some, there's going to be some ass bitten uh, in, in that school and some of those other administrators. And like a lot of these shootings, it could have been prevented if people had stepped up and done the right thing at the right time. I had lunch yesterday with some friends. One of them was a, was a uh, retired uh, SRO, one of the good ones, I'll, I'll tell you that. 
and he was telling a story similar, uh, similar notes. They went in, they pointed guns at this kid. They yanked him right out of class. There was no screwing around. And the parents didn't have a, a choice of leaving him a school. No, this kid's he's out. Take him out. He's danger. And they investigate. They crawl up his behind with a microscope because these are behaviors that have, they have got. They're not done in a vacuum. They they mean something, and they have to be investigated. All right, thank you, Captain. You know, uh, Ward, can I cannot remember this ever being done before. Um, are you aware of anything like this happening before? What What's that, Chip? The parents being charged for what the kid did? I, I don't have any recollection of that. I'm troubled by these charges. Uh, I mean, prosecutors, some prosecutors these days, particularly so-called progressive prosecutors, are overcharging, particularly when it comes to uh, incidents involving firearms. Uh, even this kid, as bad as he is, is being charged with terrorism. I mean, why, why are you charging it with terrorism? This is not this is not an act of terrorism. It's it's out and out murder. That should be sufficient. Then they charge the parents with uh, with uh, with manslaughter in a state where several times they've tried to pass a child uh, uh, access prevention law to require people to lock up their guns, but it hasn't passed. So they get around that by charging. Uh, by charging manslaughter here. And by the way, I'm not convinced they went on the run like you said. I mean, it was a huge mistake for them to do what they did, but but I'm not so sure that they, they were on the run. Uh, in, in any event, um, the prosecutor, by way of example, the prosecutor, when she announced these charges, said the gun should have been locked up. There should have also have been a, a trigger guard on it and the ammunition should have been kept separately. I mean, aside from the constitutional issues that, that raises it indicates that this woman has no idea about guns and she just wants to uh, get the publicity of going of going after them in this particular case so as bad as i think these parents act especially the mother um i i'm just not um uh, I'm, I'm not impressed by these charges all right thank you ward appreciate it um brett did you want to add something else you know so, some people in my class asked about me this other day i teach concealed carry and i said if this was florida uh, in Florida, if if you have a gun on your property, if you're not carrying the gun, if it's not within your close proximity, then you have to keep it put away certain places. So I'm 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 eager to find out what the facts are in this case, so I can plug them into Florida law and use that as a, as a teaching example for later on. But you know, you parents have thought you've hidden a Christmas present. You're lying to yourself. The, you know, oh. kids are going to do what kids are going to do. You know, that was a. Uh, a couple years ago in Hillsborough County, Tampa police detective went to work, left a gun in a snap holster, locked bedroom door. His son got in there, ended up one of the friends of the son got shot in the back of the head and killed. Okay, And they went through this whole process because now it's a crime, 790.174. And the, the state attorney, is, as, as he, he, he couldn't charge the guy because one of the places you keep it is, is a place where a reasonable person would believe it to be secure. And that's where it wipes it all out right there. That's Florida law. All right. Interesting. All right. Thank you, Captain. Appreciate it. Um, and, you know, guys, I just verified that we are doing our first live feed to LinkedIn. So we're actually currently on LinkedIn right now, which is kind of cool. Uh, but look, uh, let's take our first commercial break. We will be right back. Mm -hmm. 
So look, let's talk Medicare. Yes, we're all getting older. We're getting up there. <laughs> hey, especially if you're in Florida or even Hillsborough County, Florida, pay attention to what I'm getting ready to say. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County, Florida alone. The benefits, they can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? Now, you can contact mymedicare.live or call Erie code 813-245-6656. Um, if you're in Hillsborough County, especially, or the villages in Florida, talk to James or Bob. They'll meet with you in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays and they'll find plans uh, that your doctors actually accept and they'll get you more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, 813-245-6656 or mymedicare.live. And also want to talk about galls. You can find galls at uh, galls.com. Pretty much everything uh, for law enforcement except uh, guns and ammunition. And we're all big fans of Gauls, and we've been working with them uh, for quite a while now. So check out Gauls. They've always got some great specials going on. I know um, they do currently right now. We go to Gauls.com, so please check them out, and uh, you will not be disappointed. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. So if we've exhausted the last topic, let's get to some video action. And of course, if you're listening to the show, if you're listening to our podcast, or you're listening to us on radio, and you guys want to uh, find out or see these videos we're talking about, go to our Facebook page. And I just remembered that I forgot the, to uh, to put the list with the links. I'll do it as soon as the show's over. Uh, but if you go to the Leo Roundtable on Facebook, Typically, before the show starts, I have those links up there for you. And also, on the videos that Will puts up, uh, Producer Will, Tuesday through Saturday, uh, these videos will be embedded into the show. So now we're talking about Arizona officer fired after fatal shooting of a knife-wielding, shoplifting suspect in a wheelchair. It's a uh, it's a wild video to watch. So it's uh, Tucson, Arizona. So Tucson police uh, officer, he's been fired after he was accused of shooting a shoplifting suspect that was in a wheelchair. He shot him nine times, killed him after the guy brandished a knife. Now, police announced at a news conference that Officer Ryan Remington, kind of a cool name, Brett, huh? Ryan Remington was being terminated for excessive use of force. Now, the uh, bad guy's name was Richard Lee Richards, 61 years old, died at the scene, and the shooting was recorded re by uh, Remington's body cam. It says that... Um, Tucson attorney Mike Story, he's actually representing the cop, Remington, and he said in a statement that his client, quote, had no non-lethal options, unquote. Now, a loss prevention employee at the Walmart told the cop, Remington, um, that a man in a motorized wheelchair um, allegedly stole a toolbox from the store. So Remington and the store employee follow the man outside. They ask for a receipt, and the guy in the wheelchair goes, here's my receipt, and he pulls out a knife, and he keeps moving uh, towards a, a nearby home improvement store. So the cop um, orders the bad guy to drop the knife and not to enter the store, but the suspect refuses the officer before he's fatally shot and falls out of his wheelchair. Of course, it's all on, uh, it's all on video. Um, comments, guys, is this guy going to get jammed up? We know what his attorney said. He had no non-lethal options, Captain. What do you think? Uh, I, I see some gigantic, other than the obvious, the guy's in a wheelchair. That's not a, it's not a wheelchair. I mean, it's mobile. It's pretty quick mobile, but he's still, he's still, he's still slow. And, and this is going to sound bad, but as soon as I saw that, what flashed in my mind was the episode on Seinfeld when George is in his thing going down the side and the old people are chasing him in their little scooter. But anyway, that just, it, it came and it gone. Uh, I think there's going to be a gigantic problem for that officer. I think there were so many other options that they could have taken. I mean, where is he? 
I, I know he's got a knife. I know he's somewhat mobile, but how is this going to look on the news tomorrow morning? That's that's why I teach my people. How is this going to look in the news? And you now, see Cam, how it looks in the news. Now, let me just add, because I know that you were in charge of internal affairs for a while, too. Now, the cop's saying he's – I know he's going to say that he's worried about this guy going in armed with a knife. We already know he's a no person. He's not following uh, you know, legal – you know, authorized instructions from a law enforcement officer. He's going in a store with a knife. If he if he gets in that store and he cuts someone, now you've got well, an argument. I, I agree. I, I agree with you. If if, if he's uh, if he's on foot and he's mobile and he can he can run, and, and he's still mobile, he can still move around. But I think that because he's his mobility is somewhat restricted, I think there's options there. You can yell at people, get away, get away from the guy in the wheelchair, get away from the guy. And if the if at that point the guy continues that behavior, fine, shoot him. You know, there, there's options, but I think they could have waited longer to see what was going to happen. I think, I think, first glance, I think the police officer overreacted. Okay. All right. Thank you, Captain. Uh, Ward, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I, this was, I, I thought this was incredibly bad judgment on the part of this officer. I agree with the Brett. All they had to do was kind of clear this area, the store, call for backup, figure out some way to stop, to stop the wheelchair. Maybe the argument will be that he's not really crippled and he could have gotten up and lunged at somebody. That's going to be a tough sell. What actually bothered me almost as much as anything is after eight shots, there was a significant pause, and then he pumps a ninth round into him. I mean, that kind of indicates uh, to me how stupid the first shots were in the first place. Well, well, Ward, in his defense, he probably realized that he had an unspent round in his magazine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that his training would be to empty the magazine. So, so maybe he was following policy there. <laughs> hey, Brett, Brett, you, you know, don't help out with the verbal. The verbal, you know, Brett's covering his mouth like I said something wrong. So you're not really helping me out, Brett, when you do stuff like that. Right. People watching the show. I'm just, I'm just stopping something from spewing out of my. I'm not, I'm not amazed at you. I'm just stopping me. Now, what also <laughs> flashed in my mind was a pit maneuver. A pit maneuver. Because you know, on the you know there's somebody else in that store. The officer, officer could have. Yanked an old person off the off their scooter and done done a pit on the guy. I got you. Know? Then it would have been force for force. It wouldn't have right. been you know. Yeah. Okay. I, I get uh, uh, at this time I'm going to try the pit. We're going we're going point <laughs> one tenth of a mile an hour moving in. I, I know hey. it's terrible. Somebody died. I'm sorry. You know, if they were, if he goes back and he retraces the steps and they were going actually into the toy section, that may may be able to pull off that argument. Well, where were their stop sticks? That's another problem. Where were the stop sticks? That's true. Yeah, That's throw, true. Throw the spikes. Throw the spikes. <laughs> Shut down the. Uh, go ahead. Next. Next topic. Thank you. Thank you for. Okay. Well. Well. I'll take you up on that offer. All right. Moving along. Video number two. Um. It, we're on YouTube uh, this time. The name of the channel is called This Is Butter. Uh, they not only have great videos, but they have all, all the explanations, the stories, the bad guys, the the names of the good guys, the bad guys, everything. It, it's a, it's a uh, it's a good option if you guys want to watch police videos body cam footage of a fatal police shooting in gulfport dollar tree parking lot wow so this happened on november the 12th of 2020 so just over a year ago two gulfport cops um they fatally shot henry leo frankowski um and it says um in the parking lot of a dollar tree store so i know there's not a lot that goes on in dollar tree but uh yeah you're the video and you'll see it it shows our uh uh, Frank Kowalski, he's crouched on the side of the store. He's behind like a, it's either a grocery cart or a stroller. And he stands up when the uniform cops walk up on him. There's a black lab, I'm assuming belongs to him, kind of running around loose. And he stands up and he withdraws a gun from his waistband and he points it 
at the cops. And uh, before they're responding to the officers, they end up having to open fire on him and they kill him. And later they find out that the gun that he had, that he's pointing at the cops, it was a rubber toy gun. But um, that's the way that went down. Comments on that shooting. I uh, I mean, look, I, I, I don't, from, from my perspective, no doubt the cops were in fear. They were in surprise, but in fear of their lives or, or great bodily injury. I don't. I think it's a good shoot all day long. Just unfortunate that the uh, that the guy was just doing a cop by suicide. Is what it seemed like to me. What do you think, Captain? You got about fifty seconds. Absolutely. If, if you know the police show up, they're going to do a police response. Somebody produces a weapon. I have a reasonable belief that that's a real firearm based on my training, my experience, and I know that even if it's not pointed at me, I've only got a half a second to, to fire that shot if it's coming at me. I don't see a problem. The guy shouldn't have pointed up something that looked like a gun. All right. Ward, uh, 15 seconds. Good shoot. Good shoot. All right. That's what we want to hear. All right. So, yes, we're in your corner, officer. Um, so, look, thanks, guys. You know, we got another um, story uh, coming up from Police One. It's an update. It's about the COVID mandates, um, an update on those from around the country. We'll get to that in just a second. Another commercial break. Be right back. So look, let's talk about industry leader and in technology solutions for law enforcement, Guardian Alliance Technologies. Now, their software will cut background investigators' time in half. We all know that there is a call for more accountability in hiring and in selecting who gets to wear the badge. Now, Guardian has developed a CGIS-compliant background investigative software platform that helps weed out problematic applicants in record time. And with Guardian, the entire background check process is more comprehensive, but it's also much faster for both the agency and the applicants. There's no upfront fees or long-term commitments, so I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Um, guys, yes, we're talking about the COVID mandate updates from around the country. Um, one of the sources I'm going to start off using, because there's a lot of stuff happened after, right after our last live show on Monday of last week. I think it was on Tuesday. Um, some of this court stuff started getting released. Um, so I'm a big fan of the coffeeandcovid.com with attorney Jeff Childers, where I get a lot of the information. So um, it does start off by saying that um, not one of five new federal opinions have given any weight to the um, to the vaccine mandates and some of these other mandates are coming down with. Uh, and Jeff Childers said not his, not the Fifth Circuit when it enjoined the OSHA mandate and not the Missouri court when it enjoined the CMS mandate and not the Kentucky court, Kentucky court that became the first to enjoin the Biden executive order mandate for federal contractors. And also not the Louisiana federal court that just joined the Missouri court in enjoining the Biden CMS mandate, but they did it for the entire country, so nationwide. So, um, so the mandates are not having great success as far as in court. Um, it does talk about you know an update on the Fifth Circuit enjoined the OSHA mandate a few weeks ago. It says the court was consolidated. Um, or I'm sorry, the case was consolidated with other pending OSHA mandate cases around the country into the Sixth Circuit in Ohio. And uh, it said that after that, Biden appealed and asked the Sixth Circuit to transfer the case to the D.C. court, um, which the attorney referred to as a favorable jurisdiction. Biden also asked the Sixth to overturn the injunction. Uh, but on Saturday, the Sixth Circuit said no on both counts, and the injunction still stands. Now, before I get on to some of the other titles, did you want to jump in, Ward, and say something? or? 
yeah, there's two separate issues here. There's an issue of federal agencies issuing mandates, and they are doing poorly in court, and they should do poorly in court. The, the mandates to state employ to state actors by their employers are doing very well in court. For specifically who? Virtually every case has ever ruled on them where evidence if there were evidence has, has been put in. Indiana University, the students sued uh, that they wouldn't have to do a mandate that was upheld. The Supreme Court has turned down uh, petitions for writ in two cases in which the federal courts of appeals have upheld mandates uh, and uh, by public employers. Um, the only unsuccessful one I've ever seen is the one you're talking about in Florida, and that was unsuccessful because the state presented no evidence whatsoever. Well, a lot of these are involving um, healthcare workers too, and they've been actually kicking butt pretty good with uh, with the Biden mandate not being able to apply to the hospital workers. Doctors have been hired back by um, Ascension, one of the largest healthcare providers in the country. They've had to hire back well, all the my, healthcare that, workers. That's my that's my point. The the issue is government overreach, not not whether not whether. Uh, uh, mandates issued against state employees can be issued or not. This is this is improper conduct by agencies that don't have the power to do what they're claiming to do. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. And and that's why, of course, you know, I, for one, am heavily against the mandates. Now, go on, and I know, Brett, your mic's open. Let me get to these other ones. Uh, police union sues NYPD over exemption requests for vaccine mandate. The union is claiming that so many cops have uh, filed requests that it cannot keep up with the avalanche of applications. Also, Chicago drops a lawsuit against the police union over a vaccine mandate, and that's, of course, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, but also Labor Board grants a hearing for the Chicago Police Union's vaccine mandate complaint, and the mayor's office has 15 days to respond. In uh, New York, uh, Mayor uh, de Blasio is announcing a COVID-19 uh, vaccine mandate for private sector workers, and it says that, uh, lastly, at least 160 San Diego cops could be fired over a vaccine mandate. And it says that city employees were required to show proof of vaccination or request of exemption by last week. So that's the uh, all the updates. Captain Brett. I know this this is a very, very <clears throat> complicated issue. Uh, when it, on the federal level, I agree with Ward. If, if an, a federal agency under the executive branch can issue an, can issue an order to the people of this country, they're, just, they're basically what they've been doing all along. I've always said that the ability to make regulations against the, the people essentially makes an unelected fourth branch of government. If federal agencies <clears throat> excuse me, can run roughshod over us, then there's a fourth branch. They're unelected, they're unaccountable. There needs to be more accountability. With, but you know, Congress gets lazy and they tell the federal aid, they, we're, gonna, we're gonna give you money, do what you wanna do with it. They gotta stop this crap. As far as I'm concerned, rules and regulations should only work on the agency where those uh, rules are written, not on the people, not not out here, not here in the world, but we'll see. All right, thank you, Captain. All right, guys, moving along here. Let's see what we got coming up next. We have another main story. It's by Ken Wallentine, one of our favorite authors. Uh, it's on Police One: No liability for seizing weapons of a man taken for mental or taken for mental evaluation. Uh, I'm not going to go. I'm just going to pretty much cover the decisions. Uh, Ward can dumb it down for us, uh, but. Um, Towards Sevilla versus Suffolk County, it talks about the appellate court had, um, I guess, held a reasonable jury 
could find that it was, quote, standard procedure for the officers to temporarily seize our bad guys' guns to safeguard the weapons until whatever investigation was done in the circumstances where a domestic violence incident occurred and the suspect was taken to a mental health facility. And one of the reasons why they wanted to make sure he wasn't going to commit suicide or anything like that. The court held that the agency policy fell within the, uh, quote, special needs exception of the Fourth Amendment's warrant requirement. Now, it just goes on to say the special needs doctrine applies when government needs beyond the normal need for law enforcement to make the Fourth Amendment's warrant and probable cause requirement impractical, and that's Griffin versus Wisconsin. So the special needs analysis, it uses a balancing test, weighs the intrusion of the individual's interest in privacy against the special needs of the government. That was Ferguson versus City of Charleston. I'm not going to go through those that four-pronged test. Ward can if he wants to, but... Um, we're going to move down to now talking about, uh, I guess, a third of states have red flag laws, also known as extreme risk protection orders. It says that the laws allow police in some states, family members, to ask for court order to temporarily seize and prevent gun purchases. Now, that's a lot of power. It says that warrantless seizure of property, it's nearly always subject to Fourth Amendment challenges. Though in this particular case, our bad guy failed in his claims, the agency and the officers still bore the cost in the time of the litigation. And he goes on to say that seizing the guns was lawful, but nonetheless, there likely never would have been a lawsuit if the family obtained an, ext an extreme risk protection order and they got the guns that way. If your state has one, ensure that your agency trains officers in the provisions of the red flag laws, which I thought was good advice. Attorney Ward. It, when I read this opinion, and when I read it, I thought, well, that makes sense. It's reasonable. But then the more I thought about it, the, the, the less I agree with it. The special needs, the special needs exemption is a real. I think it's a real stretch to apply that here. I mean, I started off applying to searching students' lockers, uh, where it really is impractical to get a warrant. But there's there's no reason why they can't go to a court here, and you will notice that in this opinion, they never once talked about the community caretaking exemption, which this seems to fall under. That's that's the. Uh, Coniglia case that we discussed several re uh, weeks ago, where the Supreme Court cut way back on that. And this seems to fall more within that exception, which really doesn't exist anymore, than it does special needs. So I, I'm I'm skeptical of this decision. All right. All right, well, and for people and, who don't and, know- and, and plus, by, by, by the way, Chip, all those red flag cases or statutes you talk about, I'm pretty sure they probably all require a court order. There's no court order here. So that's my that's my big problem with this. It is it is a lot of power taking someone's guns away from them. I I, I give you that, and I know I know that I know Brett would agree. Um, yeah, I know it's it's a scary thing. All right, guys, moving along here. Let's go to another update. Uh, we're on back on police one. Oakland mayor, uh, one of our favorite places in the world, not Oakland mayor, seeks to reverse police cuts amid crime spike. Imagine that, Brett. So. Uh, um, now, it, the article was written in San Francisco. It says, in a reversal of plans to divert funding from police to social services, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff said Monday that she's going to push to reverse plan cuts to the Oakland Police Department and seek to quickly hire more officers amid a spike in violence and in homicides that has left some residents afraid to leave their homes. Imagine that. I mean, how could that have happened, Brett? The mayor's announcement came um, after a weekend in which three people were killed, including a retired cop that was acting as a security guard for television news crews that were covering, you know, all this crap going on. It brings the number of homicides to 127 so far this year, 127. To address the violence, uh, the mayor said that she'll uh, ask the city council to reverse funding cuts scheduled to take effect next year, though she still supports diversion efforts. Imagine that. 
What do you think, Kevin? Well, I, I support diversion efforts too. I think if you could have some plan to keep somebody who doesn't need to be in jail out of jail, that's fine. Because incarceration obviously doesn't work. I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, uh, do some more work on trying to keep people out of jail. But don't think for a second that this mayor or any of these other people, these Democrats who are flip-flopping flip back to law and order, are doing it because they think it's the right thing. What they're afraid of is getting murdered in the midterm elections. Because even high-level Democrats, uh, Democrat spokesmen that worked for Clinton all those years ago, he says, you guys got to cut this out. They're going to get us murdered coming up. So I, I don't think they're doing it because they, they care, except they care that they, they, they want to stay in office. And they see, they see the pendulum swinging back and public opinion is swinging away from them. So they're doing this to get, that, to get, to get on board the train. Thank you, Captain. I think you're right. Hey, guys, another commercial break. We'll be right back. No matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and the only company that offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy, and their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Start today with online training or register to attend a live seminar. Get free training for yourself and your personnel by hosting a seminar at no cost to your agency. Come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. And if there's nobody uh, else on the last topic, let's go in and jump into our uh, next video. It's on YouTube, and it's This Is Butter's the name of the channel. Investigators release surveillance body cam video from Kalamazoo bus station shooting. You know, it's um, it, it's just, I was just, it's just a wild video. I mean, it, it, you know, you've got a, a, a few cops taking this bad guy out at the end, but three people were shot in downtown Kalamazoo. They've all been treated. They were released from the hospital, so they all survived. There was a 47-year-old woman, a 46-year-old man, a 61-year-old guy. Uh, they were shot around 9.15 in the morning on Saturday, November the 27th. They were all taken to the local hospitals, non-life-threatening injuries, like I just said. Uh, they were shot on a bus at the Kalamazoo Metro Transportation Center in downtown Kalamazoo by Anthony Oliver, 54 years old. Now, Oliver, our bad guy, ended up being shot by Kalamazoo police outside the bus. He was taken to the hospital where he ended up dying. So there were three officers involved in the shooting, and they've actually got video towards the end of one cop. He's running towards the bad guy, and, man, he's engaging. He's shooting while he's running. Um, I don't know if he was hit. I, I mean, I know he eventually hit the bad guy, but I don't know if, he, if all the shots you know, landed, Brett. Uh, but you know, watching this guy run with an active shooter situation was kind of impressive because um, we know one thing, his name isn't Scott Peterson and he's not down from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. You know, uh, that coward wouldn't have done anything like that. So, but uh, comments on the shooting, I mean, you don't get 
videos this often this guy tried to warm his way into a bus right behind i guess the bus driver and the bus driver closed the door on him then he's going around and with a gun around outside all these buses i mean it must have been like like crazy for the people in these buses go ahead i'd like to see him try that crap down here in polk county florida getting on a bus <laughs> Because, uh, you know, good. his last words to the cops when they go, who shot you? He's going to go, well, who didn't shoot me? But, you know, these people, these poor people in these jurisdictions are not allowed to have weapons to protect themselves. And, of course, the politicians don't care. It's not part of, you know, the, the, the people who live there, they're not part of their concern. Staying in power is part of the concern. But good for the cop for trying to do the right thing, knowing that, you know, uh, sh shooting on the move on the run is difficult, but he had zero options. Good. I, you know, I love to see cops that are willing to uh, to do the right thing. So thanks. Thanks, Captain. All right. Moving along here. Um, got another one here. This is on Police One. Another video. Idaho trooper dives sideways, narrowly avoids an oncoming car. You know, I don't put most of these on, uh, but this trooper, man, he goes over backwards. So Meridian, Idaho, um, Idaho State Police trooper and a, and a motorist. Um, that he was assisting on Wednesday morning. They're both nearly hit by a pickup truck during a collision that wound up involving six cars, and it actually closed the eastbound Interstate 84 for an hour and a half. Now, the Idaho State Trooper was taken to the hospital with minor injuries and released later on Wednesday. The motorist was fine. It says that the uh, video of the incident released by um, the Idaho State uh, State Police, it shows the trooper helping to stop motorists on the left shoulder of the eastbound lane of the interstate when a pickup truck barrels into the back of the vehicle. Now, the trooper, the last second, I mean, we don't have the sound effects, but you know he hears that sound. And at the last second, the trooper and the motorist, they dive over this median wall, but the trooper goes backwards, so he doesn't see where he's going to land. I mean, it was it, it must have been a hard hit because he lands in the, in the oncoming lanes. Uh, the trooper was wearing a yellow vest, had parked his patrol car on the left side of the highway uh, behind the Toyota sedan with the flat tire and stuff. But it's just a wild, just, you know, it just goes to show you that, man, you always have to be aware of your surroundings when this stuff goes on. But yeah, the trooper landed hard and it wasn't one of these, uh, you know, one of these, uh, you know, athletic, you know, dives where you kind of roll, kind of like you did with the Israelis in your gun school, Brett. You know, this, this did not look as pretty as that. Yes. Any comments on this video? I didn't know if Ward was thinking about maybe reenacting this one next time we get together for videos or something. We'll have to pick someone to uh, to be the guy to go over the wall. But uh, if not, let's go to our next one. We have another update. Uh, this is on policetribune.com, which we started um, using. And now I've got six minutes left, and we're going to have to end on the note on this story. Um, we're not going to have time to cover another subject, but it's from subscriber um, Dale uh, Sandler and with the uh, Kansas City Police Department. And he sent me three videos as well. It's also got a commentary by attorney David Allen. So detective convicted for fatal shooting of a suspect pointing a gun at his partner. Um, we don't have a, a video of this thing that went down, but Kansas City police detective who fatally shot a suspect said he pointed a gun at another officer, uh, was convicted of manslaughter on Friday. Jackson uh, County Circuit Court Judge uh, J. Dale Youngs found Kansas City Police Department Detective Eric, uh, Deval, I guess it's uh, DeVolcanaire, 43 years old, guilty of armed criminal action and second-degree involuntary manslaughter on November the 19th after a four-day bench trial. Now, investigators said the suspect, 26-year-old Cameron Lamb, was found with his left hand hanging out the window of his truck after he was fatally shot. 
Um, a lot of this is reported by Kansas City Star and KSHB. Now, Lamb, our bad guy's gun, was lying on the ground beneath his hand. Prosecutors suggested throughout the trial that the firearm and the ammunition could have been planted by police, according to the KCTV. Judge Youngs concluded that um, the detective and his partner, Sergeant Troy Schwalm, never should have been on the private property where the shooting actually took place because they were not arresting Lamb and did not have a warrant. So that's really the judge's premise for um, not backing them up. The shooting took place in the backyard of the property, exceeded the scope of where the officer should have uh, should have gone without exigent circumstances or a warrant. And of course, it goes on to talk about exigent circumstances allow for police um, to enter property without a warrant if they're one of the circumstances would be like a, a hot pursuit of a fleeing suspect. Now, the judge determined that exigent circumstances actually did not apply here because the high-speed chase of Lamb had been involved. Um, I guess it, it just ended when he got to the property and he was backing into his garage. But that's an arguable point because I would argue that it's they were still in, in, in hot pursuit. Now, when the defendant followed uh, the Sergeant uh, Schwamm into the backyard of this um, location, um, he engaged Cameron Lamb, ultimately shooting and killing him. He did so without considering or being aware of the substantial and justifiable risk associated with this conduct. This is the judge talking, including but not limited to the fact that the Sergeant Schwalm and he were unlawfully on the property, that they were both escalating a situation that previously had been de-escalated, and that their actions created or exasperated the risk. Um, that was in the judge's ruling. Defense attorney Don Parsons argued that the detective was doing his job when he tried to make contact with the bad guy, Lamb. Um, and just the highlights, I know we got three minutes left, but Lamb was driving between 60, miles, 60 to 90 miles an hour, oncoming traffic at times during the chase, chasing um, a purple Ford Mustang when the police first spotted him. They had a helicopter tracking him, and he's um, inside the truck backing into this garage when um, the detective sees him pointing a gun at his partner, approaches him. They approach him opposite directions. They're well-marked, you know, police gear all over him and stuff. And he spots this guy, and he shoots through the windshield, hits Lamb twice, saves his partner's life. So that's kind of the way this thing goes down. We got less than three minutes uh, before the segment's over. But, um, guys, uh, comments on this? Uh, Ward, you want to start us off? And then Brett. Yeah, this was an odd case. I'm troubled by this case, frankly. Um, I think the guy was on the curtilage, and that's why your viewer uh, had the little lecture from the lawyer about curtilage. I think he was on the curtilage, but you need probable cause to search that or enter that. Um, I don't think the hot pursuit would apply here. They certainly didn't even argue it here because you're only talking about a traffic violation, and uh, which isn't even a misdemeanor. Uh, but but I'm still I'm still my first thought, Chip. By the way, was that maybe this was hot pursuit. Um, but there Ward, was fairly... I, the, only, the only thing I throw in there that if he's in oncoming lanes and uh, and and coming toward and, and I don't know if he if it was an ag assault or anything in reference to other vehicles, but he, this guy's it, it, I definitely suspect that there were felonies involved by the time that they followed this guy to his house. Well, I I actually did too because it appears like he was stalking or chasing his girlfriend uh, or ex girlfriend, and I don't know why they didn't argue that, I, I, but it was it wasn't part of the case. I would love to hear all of the judge's decision. I didn't hear it. He seemed to base it on entering the property when they weren't allowed to. Uh, we we kind of need to know what Missouri law is on, on self-defense. He indicated, I think, that the cop was the aggressor and therefore loses the right to self-defense. But I, I have I have troubles with that. I'm, tr I'm troubled by this. There is also fairly credible evidence that this gun was planted. And I don't think the judge made any findings of fact on that. There was also evidence that I looked on. 
All right. Hold hold that thought, Ward. Captain Brett, you're up. <laughs> well, you know, the cops are held. They have to make split second decisions that are going to be reviewed for 10 and 15 years. And so most of the time they do a very good job, 99% of the time. So if the gun was in the bad guy's hands and if he pointed it at another human being, at that point, it's not a law enforcement issue anymore. It's it's a it's a you pull the trigger to save somebody's life. So they're going to get they're going to get the you know the bad guy in the family. They're going to get the uh, the ability to tear it apart, take years and years and years and years to come up with the law and the case law and more case law. And the cops are there. They're doing a cop thing. Uh, uh, they're behind the badge doing a cop thing. They see a gun come up. What's that guy supposed to do? Tell the other officer. Tell the other officer. Hey, Bill, I, we might be here illegally, so I'm going to have to let this guy blast you. Well, I, I get what you're, you're saying. Right or wrong, you're there. He's pointing a gun at your partner. You know, you can't let your partner take the hit. So so I, I agree. Ward, about five seconds. Yeah, I have the same problem with that. That's Brett did. What, what's this guy supposed to do? We'll be right back after this commercial break. have to end on that note but what a what a fascinating case i'm glad that we covered it yes brett um look we're going to be right back with the second half of the show